0: Welcome to the Conversations with Anna podcast. My name is Dr. Anna Stump, the Golden Ticket Professor, a self proclaimed edutainer. I'm a former business executive turned high school teacher turned college professor. And in the past three decades of that transition, I have spent time with several generations. And with that as my foundation, I have some stories to tell. In each episode, you'll hear stories or interviews that will help you focus on your own truth. I want you to feel accepted, motivated, supported, and then I want you to be able to take what you know about yourself and your truth, go out into this big old world we live in and apply that so you can move forward with a strategy for a more authentic life. Thank you for spending some time with me today. Now let's jump in to a conversation with Anna. It's early in the day, so much I want to do. I dedicate today the to breaking rules. I'm going to stick to a strategy. I'm going to find out exactly what I'm made of. Is there really something wrong with just smiling the whole day long? Hi, and welcome to this conversation with Anna. Today, this is what's on my mind. Codependency. codependency has always been an odd one for me. Um, I hear it a lot. And remember, my psychology background is limited to um, research databases. So when I stumble upon these topics and I think about them, I'm not here to do anything other than talk about these things, having these conversations with you all, because my goal is for you to think about your tendencies, your relationships, the people around you, your limiting beliefs. Like how do you kind of get through all of this gray area and giving things a label? I'm not a big person to like label things, but I do think Uh, red flags and understanding things better and being able to identify. So labeling for identification, not labeling for stereotyping, is really important. So we're certainly not going to solve anything here today. We're not doing any major groundbreaking. But I've heard codependency referred to so many times in my life that I assumed, which we know what happens when you do that, that I understood what it was or that I could identify it. And what's so funny is I have had people in my life that I just assumed were completely lacking in any level of self esteem. But I didn't realize until I started doing more research that these were probably just very codependent people. And I've had people in my life who would tell me they're codependent, but in looking more, I honestly think they were just hiding behind certain levels of narcissism. So Really two just very complex behavioral issues. So that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. And I'm going to dedicate this show to my mom because I don't think I've always fully been able to reconcile my mom's tendencies, her personalities, her behavior. And in turn, because of that, I haven't always had like this super easy relationship. But in preparing for this conversation and doing some research, I started to see who my mom really is and why. And I don't really think I've ever really taken time to do that before. So kudos to her because I think because of her path and her personality, I was able to take my path and have my personality And that sounds really like, duh, right? Like she's your mom. That's how that works. It's really not though. Because I think when you have had childhood trauma and we could list a lot that my mom had gone through um, before she even was able to hit double digits. Um, When you look at patterns and behaviors in a young person's life and then how those manifest when they grow older and get into a marriage and just cycle over time, you either pass those on or you somehow break them. And I believe without a shadow of a doubt, my mom was able to overcome a lot of that in her parenting. I know she went to a lot of therapy. She did a lot of things to do that. So I think I'm hard on her because I don't see that she's changed. I don't think I've ever given her enough credit to say, well, you probably haven't changed because you were putting all of your energy into not repeating these cycles. So... There's that. Good good job on her. Let's we'll celebrate her a little bit. Um, so yeah, let's talk about what is a codependent. And there's a lot of identifiers and those types of things. And again, I am not coming at you with this from any kind of real expertise. This is just one of those things where I want you to either process it and think, okay, this is good to know and put this in the data bank. Or maybe you can imagine people in your life that you're like, oh, yes, this explains so much. Or maybe you feel seen. And I need for you to remember that you can... There's no switch. You're not either codependent or not codependent. You can have codependent tendencies. You can have um, codependent behaviors in certain relationships. I mean, there's levels of all of these things, right? So the real thing to remember is and the reason I want to talk about this codependents struggle with knowing who they are. They are trying to source themselves outside of themselves. Think about that for a second. They do not feel seen and they cannot see value within themselves. So they start to look for that outside of themselves. And if you can think of times where people have, done that where they're like a chameleon when they're with one person and they identify with that person's beliefs and opinions and, you know, what brings them joy and their favorite foods even. And then they go over with somebody else and they kind of take on that person's thoughts and feelings and opinions and favorites. It's because they're really just kind of floating and they're trying to figure out where they fit. So, Some signs of being codependent. Oddly enough, these things manifest themselves in so many different ways. But obviously low self-esteem or feeling just a real difficulty in having your own feelings or validating those. People pleasers, having to feel accepted, the dishonesty about true feelings. That's a tough one. It's a tough one. That's when you are just not able to own your, your own feelings. You feel more for others than yourself. You're just overly responsible. You help others at the expense of yourself in all levels, in all ways. And that's when I started reading that is when I really saw my mother. The other thing is being attracted to people who have problems or that will need you. Because there's nothing a codependent loves more than to see someone who's breaking or broken or confused, or there's drama, they like roll up their sleeves and they're like, let's get in the middle of this. Let's break it down. Let's keep talking about it. Let's live it. Because if I am knee deep in whatever you have going on, (laughs) then I don't have to think about myself. And that is the distraction that they need. So taking care of other people before they would take care of themselves That's complete, you know, typical textbook codependent. Obsessing about other people, thinking about them, feeling anxious for them, checking on them. I can tell you what this looks like when you're 72, is sitting at home, watching the news nonstop, crying for everyone. I mean, everyone. My mom will cry for the people who are living some horrible reality And then she'll cry for the people who don't understand the other people's reality. Like she just gets so involved with everything else, but this is not a switch she can flip after this lifetime that she's had, right? There's no, as much as I want to tell her that. And believe me, I do like get over it, move on. Think about yourself. She can't. And I will say feeling victimized, feeling stuck, not having a full grasp on reality and coping. I mean, there's certain levels of this that maybe in her past, especially when I was young and she was in their marriage, those were probably all things that were like things she had to deal with. Today, not so much. She leads a very simple life and she has a very small, again, we go back to that getting older, getting settled, having a small tribe. But I can tell you part of why she has a small tribe now is because she had these very unhealthy friendships as a pattern in her life, and very ugly breakups, and a lot of remorse, and a lot of reflecting on, I was so good to this person, I did all these things to this person, I gave my time, my energy, my resources to this person, and this is how they treated me. And how could that have happened? And why? And that becomes a spiral until she reaches the next unhealthy friendship, and lacking in boundaries and those types of things. So As I was researching and reflecting, I started to recognize these patterns, which I'll talk about later with you. But I stop and think back, like when in the 80s and 90s, as I was growing up with this person who has this, you know, massive codependency, what does that look like? It looks like working really hard all day, taking care of people through your job Coming home, cooking dinner, and then getting on the phone all night talking to people and getting very wound up in everything that everyone had going on nonstop without facing things that were going on in her household, things that were going on in her marriage, things that were going on in, in real life because she was so mired down into person X, Y, and Z who were her closest confidants, closest friends. She had a very deep connection with her own mother and sister. They talk constantly. And when my mom doesn't have full access to the people that she loves, and by full access, I mean every detail of their life, that makes her nervous, makes her anxious. And then she just goes on to the next person having researched this and reflected on it and thought about it, I would not, it, someone could have played me this podcast when I was 16. I don't think I would have noticed this as a pattern with my mom quite yet, because let's face it, when you're 16, you're pretty focused on yourself. <laughs> but I, looking back, I, and this is the reason I dedicate this podcast to her and that I keep talking about this because I, I think what she was doing was a pattern for so long and you get to a point in your life, you can't change that. She's not destructive to people. She's only really, truly just destructive to herself. She's always put herself last. She's always put everyone else first, which is not a horrible thing if you're happy and you're not hurting people. Unfortunately, if I had known these things, or she had stayed in therapy long enough, or maybe had a better support system, or we had known more and been more open as a society around these you know, things in psychology and self-discovery decades ago, she would have had a different life. I think if you ask her today, she wouldn't want a different life. And again, when you're 72 and you can be happy and you're healthy and you got your people with you, then that's good. But the quality of life that the rest of us can have because of how far we've advanced with all of this access to information and therapy and things, we don't have to settle like that. Back to recognizing this. I have no doubt. I've never talked to her about this. I'm sure I will have to after this podcast episode. But I'm sure she knows this. I'm sure she has come far enough and had enough therapy and understands in her life. But then she's also to a place in her life where... It's great that she cares about people. Grandmas are supposed to care. Like those are things. And I don't see anything self-destructive. I don't see anything that, you know, most people aren't doing. So this is not something I worry about with her. Now, if she were 12 or if she were 22 or 32 or newly married or in the middle of a work scenario where this was destructive, clearly that would be an issue. But back to these signs... The distrust of your own gut, your own decisions, your own feelings. Sometimes these people will be um, dishonest, not only about their own feelings and opinions or decisions, but they'll try to cover up even more so for other people than themselves. They're these perfectionists. They have an intense fear of rejection and need approval so, I mean, when you go down through this list, it's just, again, there are different levels of codependency and different triggers depending on things. But if you start to think about what these signs look like, and and when you go through and look at relationships, if you have two individuals in a friendship, a relationship, a marriage, at work, on a team, whatever it is, Those are about give and take and two or more people have to have a good foundation of trust. They have to have good boundaries and those types of things. But if part of this relationship or any of it continuously revolves around just one half, then that's a codependency. That is when there's a problem. And oddly enough, the research and the science and the psychology behind this says that most often it is the female in the relationship that is the codependent partner. They are most often the one to step aside, to defer, to try and please, to always have that smile on their face and make the best of things, no matter what they're really feeling. And most often that is a learned behavior from childhood. So thinking about that, you think about You know, where does this codependency come from? And in most of the research that I did, it talks about going back through our childhood and things that we were taught or that we experienced. And it a lot of times has to do with your life being really unpredictable or some sort of childhood trauma. So, What that means is, and I've heard this term a lot, and I think it's incredibly relevant, and I'm glad this term exists. It's reparenting yourself, Um, going back and reparenting yourself because of, you know, my mom is famous for saying, we just didn't know back then, right? We didn't know better back then. We didn't know about those things back then. And then obviously with each generation and technology and new social problems come new issues to have to deal with. So if you were raised in any kind of a trauma or anything that you feel like you have to ad- address as an adult, then you're, you're almost reparenting yourself. And then that's when you look for support, you look for knowledge and guidance, and you look for different tools and different things you can you know go back through and take a look at to kind of bring yourself back to that level where you need to be. So what, again, you're looking for here as adults, we attract people, situations, and experiences for the most part that mirror what took place in our lives when we were children. So if you think about that, we believe what we see. If we've been taught to believe that children should be seen and not heard or that we don't matter or that, you know, whatever it is that you were constantly told or shown or conditioned Or maybe it was, there was none of that. Maybe you just had this real unpredictable, really volatile childhood and you had to cope internally with that and you kind of had to just kind of detach. So whatever that is, when we're codependent, that's when we fail to set our personal as well as external boundaries. Boundaries, again, are the key to getting involved with yourself getting back in touch with yourself, getting back in control of your environment. So that's when you have to start thinking about how to get out of this codependency or to, to recognize the trigger and like what lever to pull as a result of this. So again, people who struggle with codependency tend to struggle with perfectionism because that is the one of the ways that we can feel very much in control and very much worthy. The problem is, that we expect the impossible from ourselves and from others. And it just constantly disappoints and frustrates us. But that is also reinforcing the codependency because you can't count on yourself. You can't trust yourself. You couldn't do that. See, I knew I couldn't do that. Those types of things are very much affirming to the codependent person. So perfectionism and codependency, again, unrealistic, unrelenting expectations, um, constantly wanting to do the the right thing and being everything to everyone all the time. You wear yourself out, but you wear yourself out in a way where you feel good that you're pouring into others and that you have evidence that you're not worthy. You're reinforcing all of that. So both of these issues have stemmed from shame, more than likely, more than likely, again, shame. So that comes from something from your childhood. So what you have to do and why boundaries are so important is go back and build up the safety, the predictability, the area of control that you never had as a child and do that. And then understanding that you cannot feel secure and loved and accepted by others until you feel secure, loved and accepted with yourself period. You just cannot expect other people to walk in and hold you up like that. You have to do that for yourself first. So opening yourself up to criticism, rejection, failure, any of that, that is absolutely positively a necessity at all costs for these things, but definitely for people struggling with codependency. So why is this dangerous? Why is codependency dangerous? Because couples or Friendships, relationships, whatever you might have, the codependent, even healthy relationships. There's a struggle for power and control. If one person is the most anxious, the resentful, the guilt-stricken, and they do not respect the other person, then it's always going to lean one direction. Surprisingly, relationships that are chaotic and in codependent mode are usually very (laughs) drama-free. Because one or both people are not being honest about their feelings. Um, There's a, a lack of passion and intimacy and honesty and trust and a million other things in the relationship, but they never get brought to light. And I think back of probably one of the best friendships I had on paper, longest friendship, most fun, trips taken, living our best life, friends. We spent all of our time talking about other people. And it wasn't even a negative way. We were breaking them down. We were like, why don't they do that? I mean, we weren't gossiping necessarily. We were just constantly studying other people and doing those types of things. And then my friend would let me know where I was falling short and vice versa. And we were constantly comparing notes on parenting and all of those things. But when it really came down to it, we got along perfectly. We never had any drama which is really an issue. It's an issue if you never disagree. If you spend so much time together and you never disagree, there is a problem there. That means one of you is not being vulnerable, well, or either of you are not being vulnerable and open and real, and that there is some scaffolding and that there is some strategy as to what is getting discussed. And when you spend, because you hear did we spend all this time talking about others, all this time on what we were doing together, the two of us, was codependency. If you go back up to the list and listen to the things I said about what a codependent is, the two of us together were that. We were together, focused on other people, holding everyone up to our level of perfectionism and those types of, it was not healthy. And I finally just one day decided, I don't like who I am in this friendship and we gotta be done. And it was awful to break up with a friend and we did it. And I think it was like three years later, had a randomly awkward text exchange (laughs) and had both said, we just were not the best versions of ourselves in that. And, but it happened so quickly and it went on and you can justify and rationalize so many things in your mind. I am not typically a codependent person. I'm so far away from it that I kind of worry that I'm a narcissist a little bit. (laughs) When I read some of these, you know, um, articles and these, all this research that I found, I'm like, okay, if I'm really super not codependent, then I'm on this other end of the spectrum. But again, it's the time in your life, the conditions, the situation, the other person, just there's so much. So that's one thing I can't possibly tell you. I've learned so much from starting this podcast is these labels you, you can either wear it or not, right? Like, but you have to understand that that's got to be in your vernacular. You have to understand it because you have to identify it because you may not be codependent all the time. You like might not be the president of the codependent club, which there's got to be a joke there, right? We could talk about what those meetings are like, but that's not funny. Um, and you can be like so far from being codependent, but that doesn't mean you don't have codependent issues when you're with certain people, or that you can't fall into it or different times in your life, or so just that's one thing to be very aware, I think, when we talk about this. So, how do we stop being codependent? What do we do if we've identified some codependency, whether it's in our professional life, in our friendships, maybe it's a marriage, maybe you're starting to identify it in a in somebody in your life? I think the first thing really to do is understand it. So I have been talking about it for like 20 minutes now. Um, So you probably have about seven minutes worth of exposure (laughs) and understanding, but you look for that, right? How do I identify it? What does this, how does this manifest itself? Then I think you have to start looking for patterns. So again, codependency is really the the powers in the pattern. It is, the the pattern of prioritizing other people's needs and relationships and partners and things far above yourself. It goes beyond just trying to help people. It goes beyond being empathetic. It goes beyond loving to go help your friend and be there for them. It goes beyond like putting your life on hold because your friend is struggling with something or, you know what I mean? It's like, these aren't patterns. These are, circumstances or situations. So the occasional sacrifice, the occasional putting yourself on the back burner, the occasional of uh, being absorbed into something else is not a pattern. So then you want to separate from whatever this is to really kind of take a look at it. So again, sometimes you have to remove yourself or take a break or whatever it might be. And for the codependent, that might mean like jumping into a different view, putting on a different lens. So instead of being in your own view, maybe you need to shift over and think, what does the view look like from over here of this relationship? Or maybe you need to ask a third party. I can tell you in the friendship I described, there were people outside of the friendship that I had that kept pointing things out. That's not like you. Why is that? Why are you doing that? Why do you act that way when you're with this person? It was a lot of people pointing things out over time, but it wasn't well accepted for me at that point because I was like, oh, you just don't understand or, you know, that's really random. You've never said something like that to me before. It wasn't until I put the pattern together and I always call it like the one eye test. Like I close one eye and look at something, you know, because your perspective shifts. So I close one eye and I kind of look at things. And then I was listening to like what it feels like to these other people. So again, identifying these patterns. And once you have a, a real grasp on like what this actually looks like, and you take a step back and you try to take a look, not just at the situation you're in, but then you have to take a look like, where have these patterns come in my life? Are there other current People, relationships, teams, whatever that I'm having this with. What about in my past? Has this been an issue? And I think that's the real power in this is being able to understand it, process it, and then start looking for those threads. And then you have to learn how, how your self, like your relationship with yourself fits into all of this, because you may need to just start building those boundaries And maybe even seek some therapy or trying to figure out like, what does healthy interaction look like? What does it look like when I'm healthy and I'm having a healthy friendship? How do I get out of this codependency? And depending on the boundaries that you're lacking and what you can do, again, you may be able to do this on your own. In my case, it was that one friendship. And I can tell you right now, because of that friendship and because of the trauma of thinking it was one thing, realizing I was 50, sometimes more percent of it being that and then walking out of it and what that did to everything around us, including our own families and kids and neighbors and everybody like the fallout from that, that makes you real cautious about getting into that again. And it is something that you do not Like, let your guard down over. So that built a boundary for me as a reaction. I mean, I would not understand this had I not lived it. So understanding that and understanding how quickly, because I don't want to feel like that again, here's this boundary and I'm sticking to it. Very important. So I have a lot of triggers from that friendship. When people approach me as too good to be true, or too fun, or too much like me, or too into me, woohoo, yo, yo, that's a problem. If they're not talking about themselves, now believe me, that's a tricky one with me, because I love to talk. <laughs> I started my own podcast, right? I got stories, people. But I got to have people that didn't show up just for me to perform. I got to have people that showed up with their own stuff, Right? Some of, again, I think I mentioned this in the last episode about the one about friends. The people that energize me the most are the are people that are able to be right there with me. And we can have all levels of conversation and we can share the air. That's the stuff I like. That's what energizes me. So I, over time, and again, part of that boundary and then part of it's a little like, Post traumatic stress from the bad friendship situation, I can identify this stuff much better. So, some of the things that I look for again is that ability to hang, <laughs> that ability to not leave me feeling drained at the end of something. Like, I'm not over here pedaling really hard and you're not sitting in your sidecar, you know, that kind of thing. The ability for me to not want to solve things. Um, listen with empathy, but this then be done. Provide empathy. Again, that's a, not the easiest one for me, right? So for me, that's a big one. For my empathetic friends, that goes. That's first. That goes without saying. And but the stop there, well, like show them empathy, but stop there. And unless you're involved in the problem, don't try and solve it. That's tough. That is a real boundary for them. The polite refusals, how to say no, like we've talked about on previous podcast episodes, the power of no, Um, episode 12, that's a real boundary. And one that you should use every now and then. Um, This sounds terrible, but you should deploy a no here and there in these friendships and relationships and your interactions with people as a test for you, for them, and for the boundary. So that whole not tonight or I'm not feeling it or I don't want to do that instead of, oh, we want to make a deposit and go on a trip and do it. Like when you know you don't want to do it, don't do it. And then finally, the very last thing is question yourself. Question yourself before you do anything. I'm going to do a podcast episode on this too because this is some power here. Before you do anything, why are you doing it? Do you want to do it? Is this energizing me? Is this feeding me? Is this right in line with whatever I feel about myself? Or is this draining? So you have to find that for yourself. And only you can control all of this anyway. So very important. So those are codependent behaviors, signs of codependence, and what to do. So let's talk about Who is most likely to swoop in, take advantage of, and perpetuate the codependent? And that's the narcissist. Okay, so let's talk about the narcissist. This is the one who makes the codependent kind of engaged in the codependency and hard to get out. So the narcissist is the person, as by defined, who has an excessive interest or admiration of themselves. And the narcissist is about themselves all the time. And they are completely self-centered, entitled, selfish. They take far more than they give. Anyone else's wants or needs or feelings are hardly ever taken into consideration. So little fun fact. It's not fun. Little fact. Like I said earlier about the codependence, that because of the childhood And the way things get framed and sometimes the way we raise them, most codependents that are identified in science and statistics are female. Well, this would only be a fitting balance if I tell you that statistically far more men, and I'm talking like 75% sometimes, are diagnosed with narcissism than women. Hmm. This explains... A lot about relationships and beyond the friendship, right? But the other types of relationships, romantic relationships, marriages, even dynamics at work between males and females. So how do we identify a narcissist? Again, they need to be seen the most. They will be very, very focused on the looks, on what they have, on their possessions, what identifies them. They have an excessive interest and admiration for themselves, and that is on their clothes, their looks, who they surround themselves with, who they've met. They're big name droppers. They love good accessories. They want to be very focused on the outer image. They are usually very insensitive, self-serving, arrogant, dismissive, and do not try and tell them like that they're being this way because they're also very inconsiderate and unkind and they will turn things around and belittle you before they would ever start to admit any kind of a fault in anything. So the real issue here is much like the codependent who, who is trying to identify with themselves outside of themselves, the narcissist cannot create any real relationship with themselves because they don't even know their true self. This is, it's not real. So the only relationship that the narcissist ever has with themselves has been killed off, replaced. It's it's gone. And that's why they're so surface level. And that's why they're so petty is because there's no depth and they can't, they can't grab onto something that's not there. So, this is strange, but because of this one reason, one thing, narcissists feel very vulnerable and often controlled by others. If they have to be in a situation where they have to show empathy or should show empathy, like being a decent, honest person that is trying to operate on everyone else's level, they get very, very vulnerable in that um, just like going to the codependent and being like, let's talk about you for a minute. Like, you know, like the little sweat on their lip and the wringing of their hands. And they're like, that's not a topic I know anything about. It's the same thing when you have to tell the narcissist, oh, you should be nice. You should do this. You should go tell this person good job. Like, they don't get it. So they really are focused on their superiority and their idea of having an upper hand. So again, The recovery for both of these things is identifying it and letting go of old destructive behaviors, which sounds so easy when I say that sentence. Just identify it, speak it out, be done. But if you are in this at all, it can take a a generation. It can take more. It can take intense amount of therapy and a lot of focus, which is not something either of these two personalities are very good at focusing inward. So we start with self-reflection, you know, self-awareness, all the things that I've talked about in these conversations with you, being more authentic, identifying yourself, knowing yourself, accepting yourself, loving yourself, and then putting yourself out there. Because if you are at any point on any of those things I just mentioned, then, if you do have codependent or narcissistic tendencies, or you are mired into a situation with those types of people, you're on your way out. You're on your way out with the one relationship that you have to be true to, and that is yourself. So, think about that. Think about these boundaries and how that is the best version of self love. That is the, the best gift you can give yourself. So, when You have to think about what's my next step? Why am I doing this? These questions you can ask yourself, what boundary can I put in here? Can you still respect other people, what they're going through, show empathy, but still honor yourself, still honor your own feelings? Can you just sometimes sit in discomfort with people? Can you let people have emotions but not think they're about you? And that's hard when you love somebody. Because when people I love are in any kind of distress, I see my mom in myself, right? My mom, being the most codependent person I know, wants to take that on. And believe me, I get it. Like, if somebody I love is hurt, I want to take it from them. If somebody I love is in pain, I want to take the pain. Because I think, oh, I can take this better than they can. I would suffer far before I would let people I love suffer. I say that. And I'll do my best, but I think what I'm really talking about is I will meet you where you are. I will hold your hand. I will talk with you through this. I will sit with you through this. I will listen to you through this. But I will not often pick you up and carry you through it. I will not make a habit out of leaving my life to come work on yours. Those types of things are what you're looking for here. Those are healthy boundaries. Those are healthy ways out of this. So being very careful with codependency, remembering that that is when you use a relationship, you use other people, the deflection, all of that to fill your voids because you do not feel whole and loved and worthy of yourself. Codependency is not the need to be loved. That's a different issue. This is the inability to love yourself. So you are focusing outward to try and fill that. So that's a different level of dysfunction. So again, setting boundaries, saying no, all the things that we've talked about in these conversations, knowing that you are enough. And if you don't feel like enough, then you have to stop where you are and you have to start figuring out these questions questions you can ask yourself, the answers that you can ask yourself. You have to take responsibility for yourself and your own happiness, your own feelings, and how you will process with other people. This is easier said than done for sure, but something that I think is so important. So again, I hope that we had some things in this conversation where you feel like you have... Again, I just want you to feel seen. I want you to feel empowered. I want you to feel educated in these things and have enough information to say, yeah, that was a great episode, but it was not about me. (laughs) Or thanks for that tip. I'm going to be looking out for those folks. Or wow, I feel like I got some more work to do. So that's what I want from you with this. Again, I'm not trying to solve anything. I hope that my... Goal is for, again, you always to feel some sense of empowerment from this, to feel closer to yourself because your ultimate goal, my my desire for you is to know yourself well, to accept yourself, to love yourself, and then to go out with that golden ticket, right? Share your gifts. Go out and just even being yourself, your true authentic self, where you can go out and offer that gift to other people. It's really, truly the way we're, we will heal ourselves. It's the way we break cycles in our life. Like my beautiful mother, um, lots of cycles that I've seen as I've reflected back on her life that I did not have to deal with. And what a gift. I hope that this was a good conversation. I hope that you will again, Leave a review if you feel like you had some um, something worthy of being reviewed here. I hope that if you have other ideas or want to continue a conversation or new conversation, whatever it might be, you'll either join us over in the Facebook group. Hit me up on Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, my email, my website, goldenticketprof.com has all of the ways you can get a hold of me. So thank you guys for this conversation. Talk to you next time.